Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. I just need to get, I didn't realize we had water at the back. I've been parched all day, so, oh, thank you. Okay, great. Well, um, it's good to be here, and uh, I've been here before, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, good to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I, I know what I'll do. I'm going to read a few verses from the Bible. That always helps. So this is from Psalm 39. Psalm, Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and um, you will know it well, um, I think. I'll read from the first verse. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me, and light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substances. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious... To me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Well, it's one of my favorite portions of the Bible, and I read it often or quote it often or because it's, um, it just says so, so much. Well, really, it is a joy to be here. Um, I was um, feeling... When, when, when Owen first called me and said, could I come? Well, it's funny. This is like one of the weekends that I definitely could not possibly go anywhere. <laughs> you know? So it was a very easy, easy uh, answer to give, I thought. Uh, so I said, no, I just couldn't come because it's 
there's so much that we're doing back home this weekend. There are three very big weekends for us at Jubilee. This is one of them. So um, uh, I'm actually here now where they're all planning for it and doing whatever it is that they're doing. But I really felt that the Lord wanted me to be here, uh, to be with you. And uh, I, uh, I've already been blessed by a time of just us worshiping, just being together, seeing, and just being with you and amongst you. So I pray that this would be a wonderful, restful, restoring, faith-giving, faith-building, hope-giving, spirit-filled weekend. I pray that friendships will be deeper. I pray that hope for your church, Lord, will become, will rise ever so much. I pray that um, as, as it was for us when we came here as a church, let it be for them. Lord Jesus, you marked a mighty, a mighty moment for us. Let it be that and more, I pray. That at the end of it, everybody here be edified and built up and Jesus be glorified in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Well, I, this being the first evening, because I know what it's like. I, so I'm just going to get my, I brought a stool with me. And... Um, I know what it's like on the first evening of things like this. Uh, everybody is tired. No? Oh, interesting. You guys are, you're little ninjas, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is. I'm so tired, I'm kind of hoping everybody's tired. <laughs> Never has that been... Re- anyway, doesn't matter. I... I um, I, uh, so I, I'm, not, I'm really not going to preach this uh, this evening. Um, so I'll just I'll just tell a few stories and then we'll go to bed. No, <laughs> my goodness, what have you done to these people? <laughs> um, a friend of mine, I say a friend, he's much older than me, he's in his 80s. Told me it was just recently about his grand his his granddaughter. She is. Two and a half, three years old. She can, I think that's the age. She can just about, she can talk now. She's a right little madam. She's just learning a few things, maybe four years or something like that. And, um, and uh, she's just having little attitudes. All very cute and nice, but you know, our kids can be. And uh, her mother was in the kitchen and saw her, and she had gone to the corner of the room with her hands like that and just really pouting and upset and all this. And mom looked at her and said, Caitlin, what's the, what's the problem? And she's just there and shaking her head and, you know, and, uh, you know, she's acting like a little adult. Caitlin, <laughs> what's the problem? To which she says, it's just the story of my life, she says. <laughs> it's just the story of my life, you know. <laughs> and uh, kids, kids come up with interesting things. Well, the reason I thought of that and referencing it is because I thought I'll tell you a little bit about my own life. Um, so what I have here for you, I have some fun story of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's hope this is not going to be too boring for you. If it is, just, just pretend. Okay. I must say, I, just, I, just, I wasn't going to say anything, but I can't get away from it. I have never heard it said before that God loves to cut us off. 
It was uh, just alone, and, uh, which I fully understand. This is the, f there's no signal here at all. I have tried. <laughs> I, have, I have looked around, there's nothing. How have they done this? <laughs> How is this possible? <laughs> but I think it's true that we have to shut some things off so that we can really connect with God. And uh, it's a good thing, actually, what they've done. So however they've done it. Uh, so I, I, I love the fact that it's done. But if I find the switch to turn it on, <laughs> I will turn it on. <laughs> I will turn it on. Story of my life. Well, let me start from what I've called here the early years. I was, I'm a Nigerian, born to Nigerian parents. I'm born in Nigeria. And uh, my mother and my father were never married. Um, my father actually had six wives, if you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, you might not want to do that. Um, <laughs> just, I don't think Jesus would be happy about that. And that would not have been completely frowned at in his own context in that day. But six wives. Um, but my mother, actually, my, my mother and my father were really never, they were never married. So I grew up with my mother. So I grew up with a single mother. And um, she was just a great woman, did the best she could, pretty, uh, very, very hardworking. And uh, in that context, to be a single mother was really, really frowned on. It was really bordering on very, something to be very thoroughly ashamed of. Previously, before her own generation, you, it will totally be shameful. By the time her own generation, you could just about get away with it. And actually, when I think about that, I think my heart for single moms, which is, you know, I think it comes from there because I, I, my, I grew up with a single mother. Um, almost every year, I will... When it's Valentine's Day, I would, as weird as this sound, write a Valentine's to all the single moms that I, we have in our congregation, you know, as, as best I can. I will write a prayer in there for them. Um, we have a special fund to help them and all these kinds of things. Because for my, it, things were not that easy for my mother, but she was a fighter in her own way. So one, so I was, and of my father and mother, I'm an only child. My father, of course, went on to have, with all his six wives, 18 children. So there are brothers and sisters that I, I barely know. I, in fact, I just don't know at all. I know the name, and I roughly know the face, but I just, I just don't know much at all. And then there are some that I do know quite a bit. So you can imagine the, the context there. Well... Uh, my name, by the way, seen as you all call me Toppy, and thank you, that is, that is just great. Toppy is it. But the full name really is Temi Tokwe Oruluwa Toyosi Olusheg Mabasanjo Koleosho. Yeah. But I have decided to let you off. <laughs> and just, just, just go with Toppy, and that'll be fine. <laughs> well, so the early years were exactly that. So I'm the first child of my mother. She went on to have other other children, and uh, for me, um, growing up with her, for, for I don't know where from, somebody gave her a whole lot of books, and she just collected, just put them in some storage, and I would go there to read some of these books. Well, one day, one of the books I found was a book called The Way, 
pretty thick book, The Way. It was called with large letters, and it turned out to be the Living Bible, the version of the Bible, the Living Bible. And it was the, I read this thing, but it was written in such vernacular, you know, the Living Bible, that you could really get it and understand it. And so I read it and read it and read it and really came to really, I loved the Bible from that point. I was not a Christian, but I, I, I seem to have a mind to remember it and retain it. So all of that. By the time I went to secondary school and, you know, people in, now you need to know in Nigeria, people, when it comes to evangelism, there's no friendship evangelism. They're just coming at you, you know. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't. Well, you go, and they're right in there. And you're like, okay, 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 I'll give my life to God. And, you know, just please leave me be, kind of a deal, you know. They, it, 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 was, it was completely militant. <laughs> um, and, so, and so they would come to me. I said, when they come to me, because I had read sizable portions of the book, I would listen to them. Then I would correct their faulty theology and point them to what they really ought to be reading and what the story really is and who Jesus really was. And all. This whole time, I was not a Christian. But I would tell them off and send them on their merry way and feel ever, you know, it was really incredible arrogance. That's what it was. And it's uh, evidence of God's grace that he didn't just smite me down. If I were God, I would have smitten me down. And so it is that, um, yes, I knew the Bible. And then one day, uh, I got to university. When I got to university, my sister... I had a sister, and my sister, she, now she was older than me from my father's side, she, my half-sister, and she was one of these girls who was like, everything the Bible said not to do, she, she did it all like three, four times. She's that kind of girl. She had all the clothes. She just had to look so, her frame and her everything. She was that girl. She was known in the university campus. She was a very popular girl and really, we would say very worldly, very but one day, she got pregnant. This was a disaster for her. She didn't know what to do. The guy that she got pregnant with said, oh, this is no problem, just, just take it out. So he just took her someplace in some, and just had an abortion, got his friend who was a doctor, had an abortion, just took, took it out, and did, in the, just, get it, just get rid of it. That's what everybody does, and so she did. Unfortunately for her, what nobody told her is that there is a residual guilt that remains that sits on the soul like a mighty rock, like an albatross, and she could not get rid of it. And then she came, we were talking about it. She told me after she'd done all this, and I said, you know what? She, I think she said she wanted to go to church. Yeah. And I said, well, I'll, I'll follow you. I, 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 know, I know what goes on in church. I, I'll, I'll follow you. So I followed her to church. And the church was, is in a cinema, really large church in the cinema. And... Uh, and uh, churches in Nigeria can be pretty large, so there are really thousands of people there. The guy's in front, he's preaching, preaching, preaching. I don't remember what he's preaching about. When he gave a call, my sister, all the time that he's preaching, she's crying, really undone. He gives a call for salvation. She gets up and goes to the front. And, now, you just need to know, she, w- she was the kind of girl that would never let tears affect any of her makeup. Or any- Everything was wrecked. She got up and went right forward. Let, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was just there. It was the whole event, the whole moment, these huge services. And I just sat there. And it was in that moment, very strongly, very clear to me, till this day, it even moves me when I think about it. Because I was sitting there and it's like, God, 
It felt like God came to me in that moment and came to and pointed to me and said, you decide who you will follow today. So my sister went to the front to give her life. I sat down transfixed in one position and I, and I feared God like I had never feared God before. Into my seat, I gave my life. Today, I gave my own life to Jesus. I didn't go to the front or anything, but pinned to my seat, I gave my life to him. On my way back with my sister back, she was silent. I was silent in the taxi. And she said to me at one point, I wish you would have come out to give your life to Christ. Well, I just didn't say anything because she didn't know what had happened to me. A few days later, I told her, we became Christians on the same day. We're still very close. She is a, you know, married now and she loves the Lord and so on. And that's how I came to know the Lord. At some point, my, and then my passion for God just rose. And everything I had read in the Bible suddenly came so alive. Instead of being something just up here, this thing was producing life on the inside. It felt like I had eaten the book and the book had come so alive. So till today, I love the Bible. It's, it's the book I read the most more than any other book. There's so many Christian books to read these days. I would point you back to the scriptures. Go back and live there. Live in the text. It will do you so much good. So for me, the Bible became everything. Well, one day some pastor came to the university campus he met my sister. My sister was so passionate for God. And she said, oh, you must meet my brother. The pastor guy meets me and he listens to me talk. We're just talking God. He says to me, you can start a fellowship. Oh, oh, I can't do that, I said. I don't even know what that is. You can start a fellowship. You can start. You can bring people together. You can do this. This can be done. And he just, he just pumped me up and psyched me up. So I'm like, hey, we'll do it. <laughs> you know, we'll do it. So we started this thing, you know. I tell my sister and her flatmate, tell all your friends. And I got some things written out, used my money to get some things printed somehow. And, uh, you know, little did I know from that time to now, I still am like that. <laughs> you know, um, got everything printed, used my own money for it. You know, uh, even when I'm skinned, still find money, use it, get it done. And uh, the first time, there were six people. I came to the fellowship. Second time, there were 18. Then the third time, I think it was 23. And then it went to, I don't know what, 54. And, and, and it just grew and went on from there. It way outgrew me. I mean, I was like, every week, I had to go and find out what to preach to the people. Because it's one thing to know the Bible for yourself, but to preach it. And this pastor guy, he would just come to me, oh, you'll be fine, he said. <laughs> yeah, you'll be fine. So I would go there, and I would just get up, write some things. And I mean, my, my, it's a miracle that I passed in university. Because I spent all my time doing the whole Bible deal. And the fellowship grew, and it was, by the grace of God, it was quite something. These, these were my early years. It was in that university that I met my wife, Kemi. I am so saddened that she couldn't come today. Because it was in our minds that she would come, but the nature of her job, something happened, she just couldn't come. I really, really wish she could have been here because it would have been something that would break for us as well. Well, that's, I met Kemi there at uh, university. She was Christian. And she used to go to another fellowship on the campus where you had to tie your hair. You must have no earrings. You certainly didn't wear trousers unless you're like, you know, related to the Satan if you wore trousers as a woman. And uh, it, was, it was that strict, you know. And for me, I just felt... 
you know, I don't think this God is like this, though. I just, I, I knew nothing about the doctrines of grace, nothing. I just felt I don't think he's like that. So I tended to live it out the way I feel. This is how it ought to be. Much later, I would find out, oh, it's grace-filled. It's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, but it would take Terry Virgo to show me that uh, many, 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 many years later. So I just went by, you might say instinct, but I was just being led by the Lord, really. And, and the fellowship really, really grew. Actually, the other fellowship that was on the, in the campus didn't like us at all because it felt we were just gathering sinners. That, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> I thought that was the game plan. They were, they, they, so they did not like me at all, and I just continued and all of that. Well, I met my wife there, Kemi, and um, when I finished university, uh, Kemi was born here. She's not general, but she was born here, and so as soon as she finished university, she came right here. When uh, I finished university, I had to do, in Nigeria, you have one year, you have to work for the government in some area. Usually, it'll be teaching in some rural place. So I was sent to, now, usually, most people, once they find out where they've been sent, they would change it to the city. Because when you're in the city, you have better money, better everything, better prospects. You know, this was an opportunity for work in a company and get a job. And... Uh, but I have said to all our people in the fellowship, do not change it. We are God's people. We will be honest and righteous. When I got mine, it was the back of beyond. It was like no one had heard of this place. I, this was, you know, and something goes in your soul, you know, it's like, change it. <laughs> you know, change it. I won't tell if you won't tell, change it. But I, 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 I couldn't, I just couldn't change it. I wanted to. So I went to this place, and it was some part of Niger. Nigeria is a pretty big country, just far away. And then when I got there, the truck that gets you there, they drop you off and say, the village is that way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that way. This is a, I'm, I was born in the city, lived in the city, only know the city. All of this is, I'm just scared. You know, you, you know you should be worried when there are no electricity poles going that way. <laughs> So they were like, just keep going, they said. So I kept, kept walking, and uh, well, sure enough, there was a village there, and all of that. Well, it turns out they were waiting for me. They had some paperwork. So all of that worked well. I noticed they had a church there that had been locked up. And I asked, what happened to the church? They're like, oh, they, somebody, the priest died or something. And so nobody bothered with it. I'm like, we, we can open this thing. And we somehow, long story, we got it open. I started some kind of fellowship thing there, you know. <laughs> Let's go for Jesus and all this and all that, you know. I don't even know what I was preaching, but I was just going for it. And people began to come, and then they would invite me to the next village. So I would go to this village and that village, and, you know. I would often wear, the government gave you these uh, military uniform for that one year, and you had these boots that they would give you. And I would tie those boots so hard because there were snakes everywhere, and I am petrified of snakes. Um, uh, but because the villagers were often, you know, you go into your hut, it was a trash hut, you go into your hut talking with them and they'd be like, oh, I smell a snake. <laughs> In your own heart, they like a smell. So I had one year really of sleepless nights of just, you know, every time you go to the bed, you shake everything. It was like that. I do remember though with much fondness uh, gathering many of the village people to come, went to the city to get a, 
not a video thing, but some projector thing and brought it to a place and at night and we just switched the lights on and uh, showed the film, the Jesus film. That Jesus film has led more people to Christ than you can imagine. And at the end of it, the villagers come because it's the electricity is there with the generator, the film, this is all novelty. And then at the end of it, preach, 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 you know, do all kinds of things and people respond. And then convince some innocent, unsuspecting guy, but he knows the Bible a bit more than ever, but convince him, you can lead all the people. <laughs> you know, I didn't tell him this was done to me. I'm going to do it to you. So you can lead the people. And I just give him some rough idea. They come on this day. Which day is free? When do they not go farming? Okay, that day. You do it and started it, and then I left him to it. God bless you. Amen. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, many years later, I look back and I think, oh, my goodness, sounds like church planting. Well, I had no idea about anything like that. I was just making it up as we, as we went along. Well, all this time, Kemi, my wife, she'd come back to England. I was there for one year. Actually, it was during this time our friendship got even closer, even though we were apart, and uh, we started a relationship, and then at the end of the year, uh, my, my father, uh, my father was a pretty wealthy guy. He had a job set up for me. My mother had her own resources as well, had a job set up for me. But I, I, I said I would go to England for a short holiday and come back. And when I came, I mean, Kemi, you know, everything went really well, and I really felt the Lord would have me stay. Uh, my parents were not happy about this at all, um, because I then, my uh, qualifications were not, uh, you know, accredited here, so I, I started a cleaning job. I was a cleaner for a few years and all of that. Um, I was a cleaner in Canary Wharf before it was fully built, and you would do three cleaning jobs at the same time, this one at night, from 12 to 6, Canary Wharf at night, and then you go to the morning one, then you go to the next one. That's basically what my life was like. Um, well, Kemi and I got married, and uh, we went on to have two boys by the grace of God, and um, God has been good to us. Well, those say something a little bit more about the, the later years I've already covered. I thought I would show you some photographs of me. So that's uh, me and Kemi. Um, uh, yeah, she, <laughs> she surprised me there because we had this speech. I'm like the talker guy. She's a quiet one. You know, so I'm trying to say, well, you know, we're going to write our own vows. You know, she had her, uh, I'm trying to help her with her vows. She said, oh, don't worry, I'll just, when we got there, I forgot all my words. She knew everything she was going to say, and uh, she kind of won the day. Actually, that was a funny moment there, because the guy who was preaching at our wedding, he kind of spoke about the importance of marriage and good marriages and so on, and he said, at the end of it, I just want to pray for anyone. If you're having difficulties in your marriage, if you want to just uh, stand up, I will pray for you. But that was kind of odd already, right, in the wedding, you know? <laughs> And blow me down, his wife stood up. <laughs> it just could not have been worse. His wife stood up. And it just, it soured things a little bit, but... Um... <laughs> you know. <laughs> I didn't say what I felt like saying to... So, so he had a problem in his own home. Oh, my goodness. I felt... Yeah, I felt sorry for her because she must be so hurt, hurting so much to have stood up. Having said all that, though, there was a part of me that wanted to say to her, really, would it kill you to just hold back? <laughs> would it have killed you to hold back? Well, that's me and uh, Kemi, that's uh, what this whole thing looked like. Um, that's when Kemi's like, what have I done here, marrying this guy? <laughs> um, 
went to have our first kid. His name is Femi. That's what we look like then. Our kids, they look so similar when they're young. So that's the second kid. So we've got two boys. Uh, that's me saying, see what I have done, <laughs> kind of a deal. Uh, the, the boys, um, they're, they're very close in age. They're 18 months apart. So they are, most people even thought they were twins as they were growing up. And uh, so they're very close. And I was a very rev them up kind of dad, you know, we're always having wrestles and and they love that kind of stuff. So they still do, they still come and wrestle with me. And um, well, the boys are, you know, yeah. I don't know what happened to his teeth there, that's the other one. So that's TJ, the Femi and TJ. Um, oh, uh, that's me trying to make him African, it didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't last at all, uh, and that's what we looked like then as a family, and uh, well, they're much more grown up now. Actually, Femi, uh, the middle one there, is the older one, and TJ, who will never let us take just one photograph without doing something fancy. You know, TJ is so much more larger and bigger, and uh, that's, I'm actually tiptoeing there, trying to reach up to them, and that's really what they look like. Um, Femi, the boys, although they love, they're very close, they're so different in their personalities. Uh, this is Femi, the older one. Femi insists that people ought to stand for the Queen's speech. <laughs> so every year, Femi will stand, and he, he, you know, he, he, he finds the rest of us repulsive and disgusting <laughs> for not standing for this. So he's a you know, right little royalist he is. Um, and that's what we look like these days the family. Well, the present years, um, well, I want to ask if I would said if I would just share a little bit about what I do. Well, we, me and Kemi, we moved from South London, New Frontiers Church there, uh, Plumstead Christian Fellowship to North London, and um, we went to help plant the church. The church went, was planted by Colin Potter, and we moved with him to go help plant this church. And um, it was really, really exciting. Early days, we started in a pub and uh, did whatever we could and alpha and all of that, as uh, best we could, you know. Uh, we had one or two local pastors who did not like us and wrote us letters and emails, you know. Uh, could you come here? And there was a whole patch, you know, our patch kind of a deal. I, did, I was so naive. I didn't even realize that Christians were like this. Uh, I was thinking today, actually, you know, some of the meanest people I know are Christians. That's a sad commentary. For some of the meanest human beings that I know are Christians. How can that possibly be? And I have friends who are Muslims. I have Muslim friends, Buddhist friends. I have atheists. But some of the meanest ones are Christians. May that never be named amongst us in Jesus' name. We should never be like that. Well, um, we moved to the church there, and uh, for 10 years, the church grew from zero to 80. It took us 10 years to be 80 people. And, uh, and you know, even that's counting all the dogs and cats and neighbors. <laughs> cats. <laughs> and, um, but there were great days. There really were. There were fantastic days. We, we knew each other. We love which we were. If we were such a community, and I learned more what Jesus had in mind when He instituted, when He birthed the church, and um, because I had grown up in such huge, large churches, 
Everybody came on a Sunday, collided together, and then went back. Now, this thing was, it really was like bricks upon bricks and something being built and formed. And it really shaped me so much, and I thank God for it. I mean, we, although we went church planting, I didn't even really fully get it that we were going church planting. I was just so, I really trusted Colin and all of that, and everything began to work. We used to make everything up every Sunday morning in those days, you know. We had a hall like this in the school, and uh, when we first started, there was a guy called, you know, we would get there, nobody planned worship, nobody's planned anything, and I'm saying to Colin, Colin was a great guy, but he wasn't a planner. So, he just, everything was upside down. He just wouldn't plan anything. But he was good to go. But where are we going, though? <laughs> he didn't know, he didn't think it matters, but let's go. You know, for me, on the other hand, you know, I studied the sciences and pathology and all of this. I think so, uh, you know, everything is systematic and ordered in my mind, at least, you know, all systematized. So, uh, so I would behind, you know, I would say, I'll sort something out and have a chat with somebody. There was an old piano there in that school hall. And one day I found a guy who said, you know, English guy. You know, we're like dying for a musician. He's just like, you know, I mean, if you need someone to play, he said, I'm, I can play. Sorry, what did he say? I can, I, can, I can play. If he was a Nigerian, you wouldn't have to ask him. Yeah, he would just jump up there and start playing. He would even play things you didn't ask him to. In fact, you wouldn't be able to stop him, you know. But this guy is so gentle, he said he could play. So I said, well, would you mind playing? And when he got on it, till today, I have never met, and I've been to many places, I've seen many musicians, I've never met anyone that can do what Martin Ashworth can do with that instrument. He would play every other musician's parts, apart from the drummer, right there on that thing. And so he really helped us in the early days. We were spoiled, you know. And then we would come every Sunday. I would hope he was there. And then, is he there? Is he not? If he's there, oh, good. Worship is going to happen. And then he goes. And uh, after a while, I'm like, you know what, Martin? Instead of me phoning you in the morning, why don't you just play all the time? <laughs> it's, it's, it's yours. It's yours. If you're, if you're ever away, then let me know. Apart from that, it's yours. And... Martin was a very, he only, you know, he's the kind of guy that only is fish and chips. It was just a, in winter, would only wear a T-shirt. He's that kind of guy. So he never goes on holiday. He doesn't like going on holiday with his family because they want to go somewhere hot. He hates anything hot. So he was always there every week. <laughs> so I'm like, well, praise the Lord. So, <laughs> so Martin played and played. And uh, many years on, Martin is still with us and he still plays and all of that. Well, 10 years on, Colin then, I'll draw it to a quick close shot. Colin felt to move on to do another work, and they asked if I would lead the church. I, I did not want to lead at all. And, uh, you know, I, I was the most reluctant leader ever. And uh, Colin spoke to me, Dave Stroud, you know, name spoke to me, and all. I just did not want to do it. Uh, but I, I felt the Lord would have me do this. So I felt pushed by God into this, yeah, and, but, and so we, I began to lead, it's funny, the moment I began to lead, uh, something like uh, one, two, three, four, four couples that were leaving, I, I, I could not understand it, why are you, they said, we're just, they said they're leaving, they just failed to leave, they're leaving, and I, 
I just couldn't understand it. And they just said, well, you know, we know what's going to happen. So what's going to happen? So, oh, the church is going to grow, and it's going to be a, some big church, and we don't want that. We want a small church. I mean, we had prayer meetings where we used to pray for growth, and you were there. <laughs> They were like, yeah, we just don't want to. And they, and they left. Uh, now, it was, it, was, it was, I think, yeah, it was the most difficult time in ministry for me in my life ever from that time. Because I thought it was me. I thought it was, you just don't know. And you're just starting out. You're pretty naive. Um, but the Lord really helped me through that time. Well, 10 years on from that point, so the church is now 20 years and 10 years on, we, we, as you know, we meet in a cinema. We have two services there. But we also have two other sites. So there are three sites now in total. And uh, because it's kind of like our 20th year and uh, all of that, that's what this weekend is. And so all the sites have come together. There's a stadium that we use around the place from us. And there'll be about 2,000 of us there. And I, I never, I honestly thought, and I tell the church this often, I honestly thought, if God would let this church grow to about 200 people, we, we would have cracked England. <laughs> we would have cracked it. We would have done it. I, I, that's what I prayed for, 200. I remember a guy, I was in some meeting, prophesied over me, and I said, God said, believe him for 1,000. And I thought, in which country is this? You know, I, just, I just, I didn't have faith for more than 200. If I did, I'd tell you, I just didn't. But God really blessed us. We moved to the cinema, and it just slowly began to grow. After what seemed so stayed for such a while, it just began to shoot fall upward. And by the grace of God, not just do I do things, obviously, in the church there. Um, I get to travel a little bit. Um, I do, I, these days, I don't know how it started even, but I get to go to the States a little bit, and I preach there uh, in different contexts and churches and conferences as I feel the Lord would have me do. Um, and then I do a lot in Africa. I was in Africa two weeks ago in Zimbabwe and then in Zambia. The Zimbabwe work actually started when, uh, about six years ago, I went there, preached. There was a pastor's conference thing that we put together. Some like a thousand pastors came and it was just, God really blessed it. But as I was preaching over the time, I noticed on the Sunday there were more children in the church, then the number of children was disproportionately large compared to the congregation itself. And I'm preaching and preaching. So I stopped halfway through the sermon and said, How where are all these children from? Because also you're looking at the age of the congregation. I think, where are the children from? They said, they're just children. I said, yeah, but for, I mean, where are their parents? Are they? Oh, no, they don't have parents. So where have they come from then? They said, oh, they're just orphans. They're, all, they're orphans. And... Um, something happened to me on that day. I managed to finish the sermon, but I don't know what I said the rest of the time because the whole time was in my mind. They had become so, not complacent, but it was just the way things had become. I did some research and read up, and I found out Zimbabwe at that time, at that time had the largest number of orphans in the world because AIDS had gone there and just ravaged some of the rural areas. And I knew that the Lord wanted us to do something about it. Quite a long story short, so we built two, two premises there uh, where we take off from in and we have mothers to stay with them and, uh, and, we, and we shelter them and home them and uh, try to elevate them. We pay for them to go to school 
uh, their school fees and their uniforms and every, all of that gets done termly. And I was just there recently and I checked their report cards and all of that. And uh, I feel like a father to so many kids uh, now. And God has just been so good. We have our, one of them is going to be going to secondary uh, to finish doing A-levels and she's doing so well. She's bright and I'm just going to, we're going to help her all the way through to university. Um, and then, the, but these people have no jobs. Unemployment in those, so those parts of Africa is huge. And so we just literally just started a, a business, which is a chicken business. We built a whole thing where they bring chickens in and they rear them from the chicks level all the way through. And then they uh, would, you know, defeather them and all of that and freeze them. We have the freezers and then they'll pack it in and we now call it Jubilee Chicken, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, we package it all and, and they sell it to the whole of the... We do all this work in the townships, the poorer side. They're wealthy, good size in Zimbabwe, just the poorer side. And we sell the chickens there to all these people. And we plan is to flood the whole of that Luvebe area with uh, uh, foods that they can afford. It's well subsidized and it's well thought through and it's working. And it means that also some of the mothers in the homes with the children, they now have jobs. They now get paid at the end of the month and they get paid equivalent to what a teacher would get paid, so that instead of just giving them food, you give dignity to them. And the, you never saw more grateful people in all your life. It was just a great thing. Maybe just the last thing to say, then I, in Zambia, there's some work that we do there, uh, meeting with pastors for three years there, and preaching and teaching. We take books and literature. All my friends in the States who have a whole bunch of you know, money and books and a lot of gracious hearts, they give me all these books and I take it to pastors who don't have and uh, so many other things that, that I do by way of, of ministry. Well, <clears throat> the future years, what does the future hold? Well, only God knows. Only God knows. But that's the good news though, that God does know the future and that our times are in his hands. He's a good God. And that's why I've written here, through it all, what I can say is that I know that God is a grace-filled God. There's no other way to explain our salvation, his forgiveness on a daily basis, his love toward us, and grace that is to carry and lift us and take us to higher and empower us and equip us. All of this is the grace of God, and I'm grateful for that. I have learned, it says there, and the grace of God is able to, you know, diverse. The second thing there is, that God is faithful. This is true. It says in the Bible, when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Second Timothy uh, 2.13. Is that right? Yeah. That God has been faithful. That everything that has happened has happened by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And finally, that God is purposeful in all that he does. And that's really why I read you that psalm. Because it's the psalm that says, oh God, you know me. You know everything about me. You go back and read it, you've shaped my path, everything. Nothing with God is accidental. Everything with God is deliberate. And to the extent that we yield ourselves to him, he does amazing things. So that even when it comes to this church, Beacon Church, let me tell you, many years ago, we came as a church to this place. And I, we, we were, it was such a bonding time for us. Little did I know that God was using it to be a core group that he would use to do the work he went on to then do later on. My prayer is that he will do exactly that for you. 
that everything changes as you go back in Jesus' name for good. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.